Welcome to Vaguely Music. I'm Kelsey Jacobson. And I'm Ryan Strumpler. And we're happy to have you back for our 15th episode. Um, this time, uh, we're going to revisit a topic that we kind of got sidetracked off some weeks ago, which mm-hmm. was uh, discussing the importance of finances in music and certain things that you should be shooting for or expecting or whatnot. We got a little sidetracked last time we tried to do it, so we only got to touch a small portion of that. Um, but if you want to go take a listen to that before you hone in on this one, that is finances part one. You can go, you can go catch yourself up. Yeah, so we had, we had covered we had covered a decent amount of gig etiquette for paying and the different types of gigs, but there's a whole other world, uh, and we're about to dive in. Yeah, now. one of the things I did want to qualify, so because one of the, what we talked about in that first episode is is for say you're a, a four piece or five piece band, one of the things that you should be shooting for is a hundo ahead, mm-hmm. pretty much, right? And I will qualify that by saying that that is that is regional for us. So in our particular region, that should be something that you shoot for. There are areas where you should be asking for more, and there are areas where you will be laughed at if you ask for a hundred ahead. And it's 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 you have to become accustomed to your market. So for example. And why I have to qualify this is uh, if you're in Nashville and you're like, you've never hired me before. I want 100 ahead and I have a four piece. They're going to be like, hi, bye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Right. We're going to welcome the next person in and they're going to play to pass a hat and collect tips. And that's kind of the norm until you are a pretty well-respected name in that area. So I just want to qualify that saying that for us in this area, that's what you want to go for get to know your area which is hard if you're moving from one place to another which people do in the music world sometimes yeah and i would say that's pretty that's pretty consistent throughout the northeast uh i've had <clears throat> i've had the pleasure people have had the pleasure of hearing me uh, <laughs> i like the way you turn that yeah <laughs> people have had the pleasure of me having dying cables playing all around all around new england and that seems to be the the going rate and i I do think that's a great qualifier. I think, you know, Boston is pretty competitive, but Nashville, New York, LA is like a whole a different ballgame. To, to that, Austin is getting there as well. Um, it doesn't have like the moving power, but there's those are some major cities where it's it's quite quite competitive. So it makes sense. Now, interestingly enough, I was just talking with someone, and and overseas is a completely different market. So, we were just talking to someone who was doing a duo performer act, right? And they were getting $500 a night. So they were each making 250 to play a bar gig. And this was um in the Caribbean, I believe. Oh wow. Yeah. So there's, you know, when you start getting into the international world, it starts to depend on, you know, the success of the economic situation, but then also the the value of music in the culture. So I know that there's a huge um, appreciation for live music in certain areas overseas, which we've talked about with some guests like Nick Angelini, who's mm-hmm. traveled all over the place. Um, 
but yeah interesting tidbit so definitely qualifying in the area there and I just want to say that was a big piece of one of the things that we talked about last time before we got sidetracked and I felt the need to qualify that before we <laughs> kicked off for the rest for of it weeks, <laughs> I've been months. waiting been waiting um so yeah that's definitely huge now is there anything that you wanted to start off with diving into to yeah. finances well there is a world that I'd like to talk about for for a while and if you're all listening out there this is the world um yeah it's it's the the idea that the pie doesn't come in from one place like i do this all of the time i break down my finances and this is a piece of being a working musician is knowing that your income more likely than not is not going to come from one place and so it's relevant to me because we just had tax season. Surprise! And this is really big because when you have income that comes from a, like multiple places and you have a whole different thing on how you're characterized and how you're hired by different people, what do you do? How much do you declare? All of this stuff is, is quite relevant because the government definitely gave me the real middle finger this time, which yeah. is really cool. Well, and so I think um, one, of the, one of the common things that musicians experience whether you're a performer or a teacher, um, private teacher, a qualified private teacher, um, is that one of your pay positions is the the independent contractor, yeah. right? So as an independent contractor, um, no one is taking out your, your social security, mm -hmm. any tax pay-ins, anything like that, right? So <laughs> come the end of the tax year, uh, if you haven't correctly accounted for all the different revenues and places that you have been listed as an independent contractor, uh, you can get easily surprised, which happened to me two years ago. Yeah, this happened. Uh, it didn't so much surprise me as it just, it was like knowing you're about to get in a car accident and then you get in a car accident, you're like, well, I prepped myself, but I still got in a car accident. <laughs> like, it's still not, it's the best case of the worst case scenario. Um, yeah. So I think for in terms of for finances, as a musician, as a performer, as a teacher, keeping yourself organized in um, even bars and restaurants now, even when they pay cash, a lot of times what they do, because, you know, it's, it, obviously they're trying to make money and save money as well is they're accounting for their payments a lot of payments used to be made under the table years ago um so it's just like yeah give the band 500 and then that's fine um but now even when they're paying cash a lot of times what they're following up with is great can you fill out this this w9 can yep. you fill out this thing that allows us to keep tabs of what we have paid you, whether we've paid you in cash or check. And that's what's misleading, I think, to some people is that they think, oh, I got cash, so I don't have to declare it. But if you filled out that W-9, you, you are to, yeah. going, yeah, it's declared already. Yeah, and, and I think knowing what your role is, too, is big. So I worked in a cover band called Radio Honey for about a little under two-thirds of the year. I had to, and we made about 100 a night with the occasional private party where it was more, but it averaged about a hundred. And I had to keep track of every single gig yep. because I knew it's like, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to lose that money because I filled out a 1090. I filled out all my information. W yeah. My yeah. W and I'm going to get a 1099 misc from him. 
at the end of, of the year. Yep. Um, and I got hired to do some sub gigs from a wedding thing or a wedding band, and I made, I made, I did two gigs with them that that they declared, and they had paid eight hundred. It was two awesome, fantastic gigs. The band was great. They sent me it. They asked me for my information because yep. they were going to get. They are. Uh, they were knew that they were going to get taxed on everything, and they were going to have to track down that information. So like, yeah, we know you didn't make like that much. You know, we only played two. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And so like, there's all of these little things that if you're not writing down, you're not keeping track of. Yeah, you can get really going caught to, by it's surprise. It's going to blindsight you super hard. Yeah, super hard. And the average, of course, the average recommendation for setting aside just so if you're going out into the world and you're starting to you're starting to perform or you're starting to teach and you're starting to do these things where you are a contractor at that point, um, set aside 25% of whatever you've made and tuck it away and pretend like it didn't even come to you. Mm -hmm. Because then when you're hit with whatever it comes out to in the end, um, even if you were slightly under for some reason, it's a very slight amount. And if you're over, then you're like, yay, look. Surprise money I wasn't counting on. Yeah, it's always better to have a surplus than it is to have a deficit when it comes to, to this time of year because it's real. It's real, and nothing – this is not opening up a door to a political discussion. This is just – it is what it is. The yep. tax laws have changed. Yep. And so as a working musician, as, as a private contractor, self-employed, whatever you want to file yourself as, there's differences. And so mm-hmm. you have to be aware of it, and you have to be ready to go. Like this is – this is right. This is less on like a uh, a definition on, on what I feel politically, and more of this is what it is. We're yeah. here now, and so you have to know what you're getting yourself into. And so this is this is big. A lot of people in the field learn this the way we all learn this. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's Surprise. not a lot of like, hey. So I actually my first couple of years of being self-employed and and gigging and everything, I actually like thrived in tax season. Wasn't a big deal. Yeah. I kept track out of every gig. Look at that. Look at that. Um it's yeah, it it's real. It's real. Uh, but keeping writing down everything is is huge. Keeping up and it doesn't take that long too. But it's it's the discipline to writing down everything is is huge because if somebody else let's say you know you wake up and you get somebody like says hey you made this much for me you can be like i have a log of everything that i've made mm-hmm. like this is what you paid me yep i have a log of every single thing that you've paid me like yep. nope this is what i owe um the industry i will say the majority of people that i've encountered have been in a similar situation as myself where it's like hey look we're all musicians like we're, we're keeping track of everything. There are some people who will try to skeeve it out. And so yeah. you, have to, you have to be responsible for your own finances yeah. like this. I have to say, I, I've, I've been in the same boat where I think most of my financial interactions and exchanges have been pretty, pretty transparent. Pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty on point. And any mistakes were genuine mistakes. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was easily repairable and... and works really well but it helps when both parties are pretty confident about the information that they're bringing to the table that being said you might be in a situation there's always tends to be one band member who handles most of the sort of managerial aspect of running a project right so um that is a discussion that you if you are forming a group 
how are you going to handle payment for that group? Because say you want to get gigs at festivals, as places that will generally pay you by check. Mm -hmm. um, one of the conundrums that we ran into with the moldy suitcases was that we'd, we'd play a festival, but we didn't have um, an official tax ID business name for our band. Yep. So it would rotate so that payments were made primarily to me and then maybe to one of our other members as well. And so when you had that rotation, a lot of times what happens is you, if that's not made very clear in the beginning to the people who are hiring you, you, they show up, drop a check for you, bounce, and you go, ah, yes, this check made out to the moldy suitcases, a band and business that does not exist legally <laughs> at any bank. So what would be a great powwow when you're sitting down with a band that you're trying to get off the ground or you're, or you're just starting to um, put yourselves out and, and try and tackle some real gigs is to figure out exactly how you want to legally present yourself so that when people go to pay you, there's no confusion. Um, and that might mean that you might want to set up a tax ID yep. and a name for your band as a business. So that way you can keep all the payment organization logged and set to go. Some people opt not to do that as we did. And um, on the flip side, that meant that we would either rotate who accepted payment. So it's not a bunch of people all receiving the incoming yeah, declared income at the right, end. Right, yep. yeah. right, exactly. And so that, that burden was shared amongst all of us. Um, or some what you were talking about, which is that one person ends up taking a lot of it in. Mm -hmm. And you can do that as not as a business, but as just an individual sole proprietor. And then that person is then going to go yeah, yep. 1099 the rest of their bandmates because the bandmates have not been... Uh, handling any of that tax responsibility right. and liability and yeah and it was and it's this is i'm not talking about subbing in for 100 dollars gig like when you gig out twice a week uh, two to three times a week for basically a year like yeah even once a week yeah once a week like, once a week hundred dollars yeah that's going to add up two months you're already technically over the uh yeah the 1099 in qualifications because all you have to make from one entity is uh, you have to hit the 600 mark. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting paid 100 ahead, that's six gigs. And, and then, then technically you qualify for 1099. So this, these are good conversations to have if you're starting a project, if you are the head of the project, if you're coming into a project, if you are booking. Um, it's good to make sure you're, you have your ducks in a row and yeah. also just giving the heads up to the people who you're making music with as well so they're not caught off guard because like i said a lot of people are surprised by the fact that yeah they got handed cash but oh my god that cash was accounted for and a lot of places are are, are paying checks like I, yeah. i've seen a lot of places pay check because yeah i mean there's a multitude of reasons why but i think i think you know there's a, one of them that pops to mind is there is no he said she said if you pay a check and you oh, hand somebody a check yeah. Where it's no, but you know, didn't so and so give you the money? No, they never. Hey. Well, I know for so for my accounting purposes at Double Bar, it it's way easier for me to look back and organize my bookkeeping when I have all that check duplicate. Yeah. Right. I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I spent this here, and oh, right, I paid them, especially for a, a booking agent or or someone who manages the live entertainment. They can go and say, oh, what did I pay this band last time? Oh, right. I pay them this much. 
Yep. Right. So there's that organizational piece that comes with the finances as well. It's also good for the band to have that too, because then they can say, say you haven't performed in a certain venue for a year, and then they contact you and they're like, we'd love to have you back. We can give you 300. Yep. And you're like, 300? Did we do that for 300? And if you have all that payment backlog, then you can go, ah, we played there before. Flip through your digital records that I'm acting Flip like it's there, a library yeah. catalog yeah. right now. And then you'll see, oh, yeah, we did agree to do that for 300. Shame on us. Or, oh, no, no, they're shorting us, you know, 150 bucks. We played for 450 last time. Whatever. Yeah. So it's nice to have that. that. So, yeah, while, while on the topic of of tax season and all of that my first year working at double bar i didn't email myself um all my receipts and i didn't log my miles from double bar to a gig and i didn't i didn't like put um a desk and i didn't set up a home office um in my apartment and all of that was I could start to see it. it didn't hugely bite me in the rear end, but it was like pretty, pretty glaring. So what I did in, in 2018 is like every single thing I bought from Double Bar, strings, picks, cables, everything, I emailed myself a receipt because I, I knew myself, like if you're a person like myself, I lose a lot of paper things, but I'm not, I can't lose something in my email. Yeah. It is direct from my debit card to my email. I have a list, I have everything ready to go and then tracking my miles from double bar to a gig were all things that I was able to to write off. I have uh, a desk in the apartment where I transcribe all the charts for the rock programs and practice and everything like that. There's a home office. You can write this stuff. Like knowing the first year, I, I didn't like my first real year out of college, I didn't make enough for it to really be a bam, sucker punch. But this is the stuff that if you're diving into the world of music like hey what can i do to prepare myself for tax season because it comes to everybody uh it's like email yourself every single thing you buy for for work like amp guitar strings picks microphone micro like i bought a, i bought a microphone and a microphone stand for for the band boom like every single Thing you buy can end up being deducted and it's crazy how much that stuff adds up like to a point because of some of the tax changes right so but it's always yeah there it's always good like things like rent for for all of this stuff like there's so many things you can put yourself in the best position as a self-employed person um that that like it's so important to Emailing receipts and or keeping a paper copies is, is just so important. Yeah. And then, like I said, keeping a log. I have like a, a log of gigs I played with bands that I knew I, I was going to get a 1099 from. Um, and, and I kept a log. And then, you know, sub gigs. It's like, okay, well, I'm only playing this person once. Making like 100 bucks. Cool. This is like, this is pocket money. This yeah. This is the, a once and I'm not playing with these people again. I would also recommend for those of you who can who can jump on this bandwagon because I think for for musicians it's a lot of projects, right? We tend to do projects or want to do gear changes, gear upgrades, uh, 
there's just this con you might want to go and invest in videography for self-promotion you might want to do um like album recording in studio live studio uh, live performance recording so there's tends to be these big investment things that sometimes come along and um finding ways to supplement and create that um I would almost recommend if you can get your credit together enough to get one of those like starter bonus credit cards where you can get uh, money back, points yep. back. This Anything that's going to allow you to do that kind of thing can actually be um, pretty beneficial. And there's some that are crazy. There's some that's like, hold on, you have to be a perfect person and give us your first two children. Don't go for those. Um, but there's some, there's some really easy starter ones that just with a little bit of time being alive, paying bills, existing, and they know you exist and, and can financially exist, they'll, they'll give you that. And then you can start putting all of those purchases on a card like that, which then itemizes them for you. And then you also get some rewards based off that, that you can actually put towards paying down projects, paying off investments, things like that. Is that can be kind of a nice, a nice, opportunity to take advantage of if you're trying to fund your creative side and you want to keep tucking money aside yeah so this is this leads to one thing we never covered before and that's dun, dun, dun. the cost of recording Meow. right which there should be a massive asterisk pay for it it's worth it yeah oh you should definitely if you're ever looking and wondering if you should go into the studio the answer is always yes <laughs> it like if you ever wondering if your band is going to break up Go into the studio, they will. If you're not wondering if your band will break up, go into the studio, it's going to be fantastic. Um, it's such a magnifying glass. And the big thing about re recording is how massive and asterisk it is for how much it costs. Because there's like, Break that down. there is so many different types of recording. Yes. Meaning, like home recording, recording in a studio, people will have you pay by song. Some people have you pay by like hour. Hour. Some people have you pay for the entire project. Yep. Right. It, it is. And the prices will be different if they are just your studio engineer or if they're your studio engineer and your producer. Right. right. So the price will be higher if they're doing both. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by this massive asterisk is that like, there's a, you know you could be doing a, a home studio like a you know this is this is a, my own home studio i know somebody they've completely renovated their basement and they're going to charge x amount let's say 100 a song um i've gone into studios in providence where we had basically 6 hours 6 7 hours and it was like a killer place and that ran us they were like cool three songs 600 you got 6 hours to to just fly them through yep and the reason it was we had pretty condensed time and it, it came out to about a hundred an hour but we were paying for a killer room mm -hmm. and the room sounded like the room made all of the job on you know we were able to set the drums up the night before uh, which was this is a luxury um, yeah, that is. To, to be able because think of how much like really guitar does not take as long voice doesn't take as long bass doesn't take as long drums there's just when you so say many. set up did you did you set up the drums it, like and set the sounds or was it just 
you set so, up so the drums were all there and the mics were were placed okay and then yeah, yeah, yeah. the day of they were tweaked gotcha but like it, the overheads were there and the room was beautiful and that's so very generous it was uh, and that was the thing it was like yeah we're gonna it's a hundred an hour and we're gonna stop it when you you get three songs if you don't get three you know, that's up to you yep and uh this was but then there's been other times where, where I've paid, like, I went into the studio over the summer and I, I completely, uh, for like the four people who I recorded with, uh, I'm still getting it mixed because uh, I'm going back and forth. I completely forgot that I recorded over the summer. And, and like, I was like, oh, that's right. I paid for everything. Oops. Surprise. Um, but that one was um, 700 for the day. And we had. I think we had like a, a eight hour window or so um and that was another killer room right so it all varies on who you're recording with their experience how much time you're allotted what the package is but this is something that like oh and i would also say um if you're looking into recording and uh, you know we, it all comes down to financial limitations for most people, right? What can I afford to invest in? Now, if you are looking into recording, the big thing I'll tell you is if you're between two places, first of all, I hope you listened to a bunch of the stuff that oh, came yeah. out of those places, right? You have to like what you hear, not necessarily the style of the music, but how the music has been put into recorded format. So I hope you listened. And if you are between these places if you like the way that one sounds but it's a little more expensive you're like oh well i'm gonna go with the cheaper one because then we can just tell him what we want i'm gonna tell you to just scrap that idea and go with the one that costs more because yeah most oh. of the time right oh, yeah. but i think yeah, that yeah. happens a lot people people you're gonna have to live with this. Like well, and I also think that every, just like every artist has their own natural inclination to how they create live music, right? You have a, a studio engineer who has their own ideas of what works in the studio. And most of the time, invariably, that piece of them that makes them good in their own way will carry over. And if that's the piece that you're hearing that you don't like as much as this other person, there's nothing that you can say or do that's gonna undo that piece. Does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense, yeah. And like, this is like, I, I really do think this too, right? I'm sorry if John Mayer is listening to this and I'm absurdly wrong, but I really think that the people who listen to the recording the most through, from, from day one of being in the studio to the final day that it's being put out and then after is going to be you and your band. So like you're going to be listening to this thing like crazy. And if you lay it down in every step of the process, you're like, I don't like this as much. Like you're paying money. So you're literally paying money to not enjoy something as much as in the back of your head going like, uh, you know, something I'm missing the factor. Like yep. I really, I put yep. all this time in, and you're going into the studio and you're putting a, a microscope on each player. Like, and so you've got to yeah. be comfortable with what you're paying for. Otherwise every single, and I've had this happen. Every you, single right, note is just like, Oh my and, soul. Yeah. And every demo you get back when you mix it, you're like, I'm a big proprietor when it comes to recording as well. That like, if you want to save money, do it right before you mix it. Like get the get the good take 
and then you'll be surprised at how much easier mixing is when you get it right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cause, and then if you, cause if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable when you're recording and then you get the raw thing back and you're like, uh, but, and then you keep going back and forth and it's just like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't resolve itself. It doesn't like, and you, you learn to, you're going to be the one who has this recording for the rest of your life. This yep. is going to be your thing. Like more than putting it out for the world, it's your thing. And so you have to be comfortable before day one. So my ballpark that I would say, now this isn't for one song. This is, if you're, if you're going in to do it like a small medium project, maybe not a full length album. Do you want to say like an EP? Like a, yeah, we'll, we'll say an EP. How many songs? Like eh, ballpark for me. I'll say like, yeah, four or five. Four or five. Okay, so like EP cool. status. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. I mean, it's easy and reasonable to expect that something like that is going to run you thousand twelve hundred fifteen hundred dollars for a quality recording yeah yeah because because there's a whole lot of steps yeah now there are people who cut you a, a sweet deal if they like the kind of music you have um and you know it can always go up from there depending on how famous a person you use and who that person has recorded previously that directly inflates their rates um, but if you ballpark of like, okay, I'm going to do my four song EP, I'm going to set aside a thousand dollars and this will allow me to lay down however many tracks. Yep. Yeah. And, um, uh, the less instruments you have, so that's the less, I, yeah. the less busyness you have, um, the more affordable it can be. But if you're looking just, just like a, like I'd say like a four piece band. And if you're going to do any kind of overlaying of tracks. Yeah. And so that's, that's a real, that was the thing that pops into my head. Like a four song EP for two bands might be completely different and might cost different, different things because one might be like, Hey, we basically do everything live. Like we got the drums in an ISO room and we got the guitars, like the, in a, the, the cabinets in, in a, a little booth by itself and the vocals are in an ISO booth and we all play and we basically take everything and then that's going to be mixed as opposed to somebody who is like, if you're layering everything and you're adding a bunch of stuff and you're adding a bunch of vocal harmonies after and you're like, or, or like the more and more you, you spend time. Well, the, and spend time mixing too. Right. The po that after effect too. So sometimes even the, the ones that go in live, if you're spending a lot of time then mixing and altering yep. and adding effect and doing this and doing that so that that's why i ballpark it because sometimes even the ones that come in and can do their take all almost at one time then even still all this after processing and mixing can add up time wise and sometimes what you're paying for is not the time that you spend sitting there with these people in studio it's the time that they've put in outside of studio yeah yeah i'll Every project that I've enjoyed the recording from has been from a guy who's been like, yeah, so I was mixing these a bunch, but like, and I'm, I'm, but, and I did this, this, and this, and this, and like, I, you know, I spent all night thinking, and let me know what you think. Like, all my favorite stuff has been from people who have put a fair amount of time out outside of being in the studio and listened to it and tried to get it right. And that's what you're paying a lot of money for. That being said, I will say that if you really want to do it up, one of the old, one of the, what bands would do sometimes when they're trying to make it right is they put a lot of money into like two 
songs. So if you're still thinking like, I'm going to make an album, right? I'm going to make an album. And then we're going to do like one or two songs that we're really going to push as being like our main marketable singles off of these album, off right. of this album. A lot of times what people would do is they would take those two songs and they would actually record them in the same place, but then they'd spend extra money on having them mixed and mastered at a really high end place. So they might spend maybe $800, $1,000 more on two songs and then the rest of the album's $1,000. So they they have like 10 songs mixed for $1,000 and then these two songs mixed for an additional $1,000 somewhere else with someone who's highly respected for getting the sound that they want to sound like. Yeah. And then they market the crap out of those songs and those become their those become their sort of promotional materials that they've gone all in. Whether that's really worth it in today's world, I don't know. Yeah. But that is a, a real approach that I Yeah, and usually it's good to know about. And, and those those are connected to videos as well. A lot, a lot of those, oh yeah. yeah that's like, like the MTV, you, here's my here's my single, here's my video and the bam. Yeah, cuz you 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 really wouldn't spend that much if the goal is marketing and you don't add the video component. I mean, you just always budget for it. If that's the goal. If that's the goal, it's in the budget. Yeah. It's it's it has to be. Um, so so we've talked about a little bit um, performing yeah. and taxes, right, and payments there. We've talked about sort of the the beginning of recording expenses and, and just some general ideas of how to budget for recording. Mm-hmm. The last thing I think I wanted to talk about was, was private teaching. Yeah. Right? Um, which Brian just got the most uncomfortable face because really here we are, employee and boss right here at a music school. So there yeah, you go. <laughs> Actually, cool. Why don't you tell everybody what exactly I make <laughs> per week? Um, yeah, so five no. bucks. <laughs> five bucks and ten dollars on an arcade card. <laughs> no, but I think this is a huge thing because in a, we right we live in in ever changing and growing service culture. Yeah, well, everybody can access everything. You have an in like an infinite amount of information at your fingertips. You're paying for somebody to to know you at a high level and break that information down and help guide you. Yep. So to be like, hey, look, once a week for 30 minutes to an hour, we're going to break down information so that way when you when you go on the internet and you look up stuff or you practice or anything, you have It makes like, more sense. Yeah, I'm going to put you on a path because I, I know what you, you know, it's not just like checking off a box. I, I know what you want. I know what you like. I know what you want to sound like um, and all of that. So we went to NAMM in January where they talk about all kinds of finances and and some of the presentations were geared towards um, employees, some were geared towards employers, and some were geared towards crazy corporate people who will dream of becoming someday, but not this day. And uh, and they had everything in between in terms of how they how they recommended payments and 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 collecting money and charging and and paying out and it was highly overwhelming um but obviously it all comes down to just like for for gigging is you have to know your area of what do you teach in right Right. what what's the average going rate and sometimes that can change especially in new england where everything is you know 10 minute drive and if you have to drive a half an hour 45 minutes we're gonna do that another day because that's a long drive um 
sometimes your area has to be very immediate. So what's within the 20 minutes around me versus a place like Texas, which is like, okay, what's my area? Hold on, let me check the surrounding four hours yeah, so that I can see what my competition is. Yeah, it's it's weird too because those those bigger areas um, are like that, and then you have places like Austin where it's like highly condensed. Yep. You know, you have you city. have extremes. Yeah, some pretty extremes. And I want to put a massive asterisk next to this, where anybody, if you're listening in 2024, congratulations, you've done a great job. Thank you for finding this in our time capsule <laughs> these prices everything is fluid to what the market demands though so i don't know gigging hasn't grown since the 70s so i'm gonna say Gig, by 2024 so we're still gonna be pretty close gigging hasn't but i <laughs> i have seen teaching yeah teaching I, I has took, changed i took lessons um starting when i was 10 and from 10 to 25 so what were you guys what were you guys do you remember what the price of your lesson was yeah so i had no disrespect uh, which is always the most disrespectful way you could start something. Uh, I had a teacher named John who was the rhythm guitar player on uh, the worship team that, that the church that I went to. Um, and he, we paid him $20 for a half hour ish lesson. Yep. And he was, he's a pretty good guitar player, but he didn't like live, eat, breathe this stuff. Yep. Um, and so you kind of got what you were, you were paying for it was it was real under the table kind of stuff like he wasn't really a teacher um and then i started taking lessons with my teacher that you know i studied through through high school and he came to my house so he was like he was a private instructor who came as opposed to going to a place which changes the rate yes it does um and so he started i want to say he started at 40 or 45 i was i was not handling the payment i was 13. <laughs> Come on, parents Ryan. Were just like shirking your 13. duties. Get in that cool mind. <laughs> um, do you want to? Do you want to take lessons or not? Um, and then through, I think, yeah, it was forty-five. And then throughout the course of the time I took with him, he had bumped it up to fifty. Because no, is that half hour? Hour, hour, ah, hour okay, plus. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, yeah. so hour plus. He. Because I was going to say that twenty to twenty to forty-five for yeah, for so that for, job. <laughs> for an hour, it was forty-five for. Um, I want to say it was 45 for the first couple of years. And then we had a massive, I'm not sure if you remember, but around 2011, 2010, late, around 2011, not, not 2010, uh, there was a massive surge uh, of gas prices. Yep. And everything went, like, the cost of everything skyrocketed. Yes. And he was like, hey, look, I, I'm up in my rates to 50. Like, I haven't upped my rates in a long time. You've been taking lessons for about three years. I want to let you know. And that's not uncommon. Well, and you are so, and this was based in um, North Andover, which is a little bit is, of a more. It is a nice, affluent. yeah. It is like a, a, it varies from like middle class to to significant upper class. Yeah. Um. So it it was definitely a little the neighborhood, on the, yeah, ahead of the curve. Yeah. Not much, now, but a little bit. Now we had two car garages. We were not like we were not you know no off street parking yeah, for you yeah, on so, street parking. Yeah, only off street. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We had two car garages and used Kias, so it's not like you know we were we were fine financially. We could afford it, but it wasn't like we were throwing money everywhere. But that was in the town and the area, and so that will factor into the prices. Yeah. Um, knowing when people have literally have boats on their lawns, exactly, that's going to change the price of it. And yeah, and so he would he was by the end of when I when I went to Dartmouth, uh, UMass Dartmouth, sorry. Um, so 
by the end, he would be there for like an hour, 10 minutes or so. Like, yep. because he came to the house, he would, it was $50 for the lesson, but it was like, hey, like, you're going to music school. We're going to invest in this. I'm staying a little longer. I'm getting to know your family. Like, um, so that was 50. And, you know, I haven't asked him what he made, what, you know, in the past eight years. If there's any jump So there. I apologize if, if I'm blowing up his spot right now. <laughs> well, so when I first started teaching was in 2004. When I first started at that time, they, I, I was, I was making, it was $15 a lesson, $15 a half hour. Okay. Is that what you were making or what the store no, was charging? No, that's what was charged. So okay. it's like, here's $15 and then I would make half of that. Womp, womp, womp. Well, that is, yeah. <laughs> But that's 15 years ago, and it, and it, we have seen, I don't want to say unprecedented because I didn't study finance, I studied music, but it has been a pretty astronomical inflation Yes. from the mid-2000s to the end of this decade. Right. So now, so I started, when I started in 2004, was 15 for a half-hour lesson, and now at Double Bar, we float 25 to 30 a half-hour lesson. We have two different yeah, 30 options. 30 if you enrollments. don't practice, 25 if you do. <laughs> I'm so, looking at Jack right now. So this is, and this is kind of the going, we are like the middle, we're, we're this is the middle of the road. We're the it middle of the road 20, right now. Um, when I first started teaching, it was 20 and 25 when I first started teaching here. Um, and 20 was significantly under yep. what the market was, uh, what the, what the established market was for teaching in the area. Yep. Um, and so we were really good. We we're the best lights out. Um, but so we shifted obviously to to grow with inflation and demands and our growing business, right? So the big piece is actually um, as as someone who is an employer now who employs teachers to do this job, but who's also a teacher and was a teacher first. Um, there's a lot of variety from place to place when it comes to what the shop does, what the teacher makes, and that relationship between employer and employed teacher. And my biggest thing, because this is what I, this is what I always, I, I even heard the reason I had mentioned NAM, NAM earlier is because they talked about this, how from the business owner standpoint, which is what, cuts you should be making to fund your business and they talked about it beautifully it was very convincing until i walked out of the building so they talked about it as a business owner someone who's trying to to make a lot of money and and survive and and ensure the thriving overall uh life living of their business and so what you have is you'll have shops that will take anything from 50%. Some, some will take more. Some will take which way beyond astron- that. Which is ridiculous yeah. to me. Ridiculous. So 50 to 60% will go to the shop. And then you'll have varying levels of decreasing percentages. So on the probably, I would say probably on the lightest side that I can think of, you might be looking at like a like a 
10 to 15 percent cut for the store yeah, and that's 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 real lean that's, that's very lean. lean and there are some places that will do that who are not who whose primary purpose is not music education they'll do something else right and that is that is how they and then the lessons are a supplemental piece to their business be it you know however busy they are but it's not their primary piece so i kind of wanted to wind down today because what we do at double bar is music education we offer a lot of retail um, now we do. Now we do. Yeah. But uh, we, our heart has always been in music education. And if your heart's in music education, I think even after leaving NAMM and seeing some of the things I saw and some of the recommendations saw, I saw, I, I, you step out of the building and out of the air-conditioned air, and you get back to what it is that makes your business thrive, which is if it's music education, it's your teachers, Right and it's the quality of their commitment to teaching and being the best that they can be yeah so this is this is the stores that i've worked at or that my buddies have worked at that have tended to be a 50 percent cut have also there seems to be this weird correlation have also seemed to be the ones where teachers sometimes have to be the people sometimes i will say just for, for what I've encountered and what I've talked with my buddies, those seem to be the ones where the teachers have to hound down payments as well. Yeah. Which to me feels like highway robbery. Double bar takes a cut here because when I'm in teacher mode and I don't really, this this doesn't really apply to me, I get, I get bled out at this point. I voluntarily <laughs> jumped on the train tracks. But for our other staff members, they don't chase every single person down for payment. They don't go to write it in the book or take take a history of it. They don't go to the front. That's why you have somebody hired at the front desk. Right. And they handle, you know, if a teacher is trying to reschedule something, you come up with, the, like, the teacher might come up with you. If, if that teacher's, you know, it's like, hey, I'm not available that day. Can somebody do this? And the teacher's like, well, I could come in this day if it lines up. But for the most part, mm -hmm. scheduling comes through. Teacher doesn't even have to worry about it. That person comes up to the front desk. The front desk takes the payment and takes the schedule. Places that I've worked at or that my buddies work at that take the 50, the 50 plus, which is highway robbery because you, 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 the teacher's doing the one-on-one -on -one interaction for the 30 minutes to an hour. Like, where you have to chase that down too. If you're working full-time at one of those and you have a good amount of clientele, like look around and, and, and wonder what you're building there. Well, you know? and I think that's that's important because I've been in places where people have taken a very small cut and I've been at places that where people have taken a very large cut. And I think if you are being hired, it's it's very exciting. I started teaching voice when I was 17. When you're 17 years old and someone looks at you and goes, we'd love you to come in and teach music, your gut instinct is to be like, yeah, of course. You don't even have to pay me. I'll just show up. And And... I, what I would recommend is know your own worth, right? Know that you are coming in with no experience most of the time if it's your first time teaching and you have to acknowledge that for what it is. Mm -hmm. Being smart at music does not necessarily mean that you're going to be a great hire for a teacher right away. Mm -hmm. So you have to know your own limitations in the beginning. But you also have to know that you are the one who's holding the form of, of education, and 
that being the case is you should make sure that when you get hired, you're at a place that A, if they are going to take a, a cut, which a lot of stores now are living off of their their lesson base, right? That is part of what makes the store survive and thrive. So if they're gonna if they're gonna take a cut, then find out what it is that they do for that cut, right? Do they handle lesson payments and scheduling? Do they handle payments and you handle scheduling? Do they supplement something else? Do they like some places will offer rehearsal space? Some places will offer substitute teachers in your place if you can't be there. Some yep. places will offer. I mean, there's there's a slew of things that it's good for you to go in knowing as a teacher um, and not, you shouldn't be afraid to ask about those things. No, right? you shouldn't, you shouldn't be abused too, because I, I agree. Like if you're going in, if it's your first time teaching or anything, you're going in green, you are going to, there is a curve to this, but you are the one proverbially pumping the gas. Mm -hmm. Like, and so you should be, you should be firm on, on what you're doing um, to, to, slide for one second and talk about private teaching right private teaching is i don't like this is where things become tricky because everybody's gonna have their own rates right and, and it's tough because how do you qualify private teaching private teaching one-on-one -on -one, like outside of of a double bar of uh so like certain. either from home or going to people's right, homes right so yes. like home studio or or going to there yep. because because that goes having a home studio to me still counts as, as private teaching. Yep. And so that's trickier because you're establishing rates, and so the the standard is is pretty symmetrical to what stores will will charge in some cases. In yep. some others, you're paying less, and some others you're paying more for the name. Yep. Like there are there are specific teachers that if I go to, I know it's going to be significantly more than my average guitar lesson but i'm going there because that person can offer something that i can't find anywhere else yes um what i would say because we have teachers here that also do um private lessons going to people's homes and and from their own home and that's you know it's the happy medium of all these things combined that allows you to put together a financial life as a teacher how'd you get punched in the face by the government anarchy break it down <laughs> tear it down i never thought i was gonna be all about the revolution and become a punk anarchist until well, we'll see where you like it post podcast yeah, until yeah i think it's just I gonna be bedtime bill. yeah, it, yeah. Might be, <laughs> it might be but one of the things i would say is don't if you are doing home lessons because you were talking about this for your teacher ryan if you're doing home lessons going to people's homes don't sell yourself short by because people always think of gas, right? Oh, the gas. But it's not just the gas. It's the gas and the time. Yeah. And I, I had a discussion about this with, with a fellow teacher where he might have six home lessons all in one day. But instead of six half-hour lessons, right, which break down to three hours. That's good math. Right? Yeah. I'm wicked smart. Um, what you end up with is probably closer to almost yeah, six five, hours. Yeah, I was going to say five to five, six, six hours. Five, six hours. Because you've got to go from one place to the next to the next. And it's, it's never a straight line. So like, now bing, think bing, about bing, it. Bing, say, bing. You, say you charge $25 or you make $25 doing private lessons or teaching from home, but you charge $30 to go 
to somebody's house. So like five dollars is like, yeah, that covers gas. Yeah, but does it cover your time? Yeah, and it and it might depending. On it it <clears throat> and that's that's a, a personal decision for you to make because because yep. it might <clears throat> the trip from you from wherever you're going to be that day to your student might be worth five dollars. Yep. Like simple, like okay, it's about five minutes away. It's not out of my way. It's on my way home. Boom, I'm gonna fire off a lesson. Yep. It might make sense. It might not. I will say too, just on a, on, a, on a side note, going to I had great teachers and, and one of them, right, my main teacher growing up came to my house and it was awesome and I loved it. Uh, it was a little tough uh, at first. Teaching at Double Bar, not a, not really that big of a problem. Doing private lessons, going to people's houses at first became, was very weird. So I've, I've only taught private lessons in home for people, for a couple of people. And it wasn't bad, I think, because I had been teaching for so long already anyway. But I will say... I did some uh, tutoring when I was in college. Oh, it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. and, and They were like making dinner around me as I'm trying to like read Catcher in the Rye with their daughter. And I'm like, this is weird. Yes, I would like some pasta, please. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. There, to me, there is, you know, I, one of our, our students, I, I teach on, on Tuesday. I go, and there is a breaking point where it doesn't become weird, like, where the family does get to know you at a, at a very cool yeah, level. Yeah. And there is, it takes a while, uh, or it took me a while, and then there's a breaking point where you do have this familiarity and this comfort, and it is like, oh, so you're you're also getting, there's there's positives and negatives for, for paying and going through. When people pay for you to come to their house, it's like, hey, this is a comfortable environment. Yeah. You know, we don't have to go out of our, like, we're paying, not only we're, we're paying for your gas and your time, we're paying to save our time, yes. too. We're paying to save what would be a 30-minute commute. Which is huge. Yeah. Time is time is money, and money is power, and power is pizza. That's right. <laughs> so, All right. to wind down our finances part two, Stromfler, surprise it, baby. Okay. So, least favorite 90s band. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. That's really hard. Yeah. Least. Least. Least favorite. Like, oh, no. I, I don't think I can just pop this one out. Well, that's literally what the, the surprise is I for. know, but I just like, I feel like I really need to take this one in. Come on, Kelsey. It's the high school dance and it's a pimple. You got to pop this one out. <laughs> uh, least favorite 90s band. Least favorite 90s band. Who did I really hate in the 90s? Like not really a '90s band. I I I'm. Mm. Okay, for me, it's this is really just like I know your husband's gonna try to kick my butt, but it's like the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh wow! I, I really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I just you know when bands negative do it for you, that's like negative doing it for me. Wow. I don't even I don't even think. See our our double intern. He's an intern of interning. Uh, he's the head of internship um, for the intern. Jack just showed up Nickelback, but I think that really counts as a 2000 band. And you could list off a bunch of 2000 bands like P.O.D. and everything. Um, I saw them live. Yeah? Yeah. Were they good? They're actually very good. I believe it. I saw them. They were back-to-back -back with them and Disturbed. And, and uh, P.O.D. was way better. Did you see your least favorite 90s band, which is Blank? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm going to have to sit on this one. This will, I'm gonna, I, I, hmm. I'm gonna have to 
All right. Well, this is gonna you have got you're gonna have to shout it at the start of the next podcast. <laughs> you know that, right? I will. Oh, I'll come in strong. Like, I can't believe. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All well, right. on that note, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Ryan Strumpler, which is my least favorite '90s band. All right. Have a good night. <laughs>